Hello there, Curious City listeners. It's Alexandra Solomon here, the editor for Curious City. And just a quick heads up about this episode. We produced this story before the recent shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida. Given all the news coverage from Florida, we realize you might not want to hear another story about gun use right now. And if that's the case, you might prefer to hold off on listening to this episode. Thanks. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hi, I'm Curious City reporter Monica Eng, and today we're going to tell you the story of two Chicago friends. Their names are Rady and Mike. Rady says they have this recurring argument. It's about a gun Mike recently got. That he carries on him at all times. Actually saw the gun accidentally, and it scared me. <laughs> Rady's scared because she's read some studies about how people who live in homes with guns are more likely to die from guns. So Rady's tried to convince Mike. It's dangerous to have a gun in your house. Even if you're not violent, it's more likely for someone to get accidentally shot. But she says Mike, who didn't want to talk for this story, argues it's more likely he'll protect his home or business from a, quote, bad guy. So Rady asked Curious City. How often do people actually defend themselves with guns? I don't think it happens that often, but my friend says that it does. These questions about how often people defend themselves with guns and if guns really make you safer... They're at the heart of the nation's gun debate, and they divide friends and families here in Chicago and across the country. So who's right, Rady or Mike? Well, I talked to a lot of experts, and even though it seems like it should be easy for researchers to just count these things, it turns out it's not. Because it has a lot to do with people's perceptions of what self-defense even is. We'll get to that in a minute. And we'll also look at why folks like Rady and Mike and even researchers are so divided on this. And finally, whether or not that gun Mike bought will actually make him safer. Okay, let's start with the first question about people defending themselves with guns, or what folks in the biz call defensive gun uses. How often does this happen? Here, scholars can't agree on a single number. How come? Well, for one, Americans who answer their questions don't necessarily agree on what self-defense is. And that makes counting acts of self-defense super tricky. Like if you ask Florida State University's Gary Kleck, he did a major study on how often people defend themselves with guns. And here's what he says. That 1.3 percent of the U.S. population has had a defensive gun use in the past 12 months. And if you do the math, that's more than 2 million people defending themselves with a gun every year. It's a figure folks like Wayne LaPierre at the National Rifle Association really like to quote. 2.5 to 3 million times a year, the good guys use a firearm against the bad guys that are all... But then you've got David Hemingway, a researcher at Harvard. His data is often cited by folks who favor gun control. And he says it's much, much lower. It could be 80,000, 100,000, 120,000. Depends on the year. Got it? There's extremely wide disagreement on this. Like, one guy got a number that was more than 20 times what the other guy got. So, how can this be? As far as I can tell, both of these guys are conducting real, fact-based research. But they're super divided on how to go about it. 
For more than 20 years, they've debated sample size, how accurately people answer gun questions. And the thing they probably argue about most is the best way to ask people about defensive gun use. Like Kleck, who got the high number, he thinks you should ask them directly. Like, hello, sir, have you defended yourself with a gun in the last year? But Hemingway, he got his numbers from a census survey that walked people through steps. Like, first, have you been a victim of a violent crime in the last year? And if so, then what happened? Kleck thinks that step-by-step approach, it just doesn't capture the real number of defensive gun uses because people don't get asked the right question. No respondent is ever specifically asked about defensive gun use. They're just asked a sort of a generic question about what they might have done for self-protection while the incident is occurring. But Hemingway says that's just how you should ask it, because a super direct question could lead people to exaggerate. And when you're extrapolating for the entire adult population of the U.S., a few exaggerators can throw results way off. Plus, Hemingway wonders just how legit those self-defense claims are. That's because he did this other study, where he asked the question just like Kleck did. Have you defended yourself with a gun over a certain period of time? And sure, a lot of people said yes. But then when you ask them about what happened, there are things like, I was talking to my neighbor and he threw a beer at me and I ran and got my gun. And that's not really self-defense gun use, that sort of escalating arguments. And almost most of the things that are reported there are escalating arguments. So on top of these surveys being based on self-reported memories, folks answering the questions sometimes think a fight with a neighbor is the same as self-defense. Super confusing, right? So has anyone been able to fix these confounding factors and come up with some solid data everyone uses? I ask yet another researcher who's been studying the issue for more than 20 years. Daniel Webster directs the Center for Gun Policy and Research at Johns Hopkins. Well, the sad truth is that it's almost impossible to measure self-defense of gun use. The reason is that what is defensive is a very subjective type of thing. Okay, so we know the public and politicians are divided on this. But researchers are supposed to draw unbiased conclusions from hard data, right? Well, that may be easy in some areas of study, but on something as polarizing as guns, some scholars say politics can work into the equation. Here's John Lott, an outspoken gun advocate who wrote the book More Guns, Less Crime. Among a lot of people, I would think. You can pretty much guess where they come out on the gun issue uh, based on what party or whatever they vote for. And, you know, I don't think that was necessarily true 25, 30 years ago or so. But I think nowadays, especially for the gun control side, I bet you every single one of the people uh, who support gun control who are academics are Democrats. Daniel Webster, who favors gun control, doesn't agree with John Lott on much. But here, he does agree that researchers' beliefs about guns can shape their approach to science. Well, certainly there's an ideological piece to this. I I hope, you know, the ideological piece should not influence the research and interpretation of data. I think the clearest outcomes are not controversial. You know, you, you can measure homicides. But so much else that happens with guns is measured in very imperfect ways. And different researchers will make their own decisions about what data to use, what assumptions to make or or not make about them. 
Other experts I talked to agreed with Lawton Webster. When you add subjective data, like people's memories of self-defense, to a politically charged subject, like gun control, you can end up with divided researchers. Researchers who can, frankly, become so intent on disproving rivals that they may not take time to consider if there are any valuable insights in the other guy's work. When I brought this to our question asker, Rady, she was disappointed, but not super surprised. If you have a brain, you have cognitive biases. We all do, right? So I'm more likely to believe uh, evidence that supports my point of view. I'm more likely to look very closely at evidence that doesn't support my point of view in order to find something wrong with it. So I'm sure that your ideology does impact your science. So Rady's still convinced that that gun could bring her pal Mike harm. And that brings us to our last question. Will that gun make Mike safer or just the opposite? Well, on a macro level, you can look at research that simply studies homes with and without guns. They do show that in homes with guns, occupants do die more often by gun through suicide and homicide. But if you're talking about a specific gun in a specific home, that's a different story. Gun control advocate Daniel Webster again. The risk and potential benefits of having a gun are going to vary dramatically from household to household, community to community. And those variances are based on some pretty rock-solid factors, factors that would definitely make a gun more dangerous to the occupants of the home. Like, is the gun stored loaded and unlocked? Does someone in the house have a history of domestic violence or substance abuse, impulsivity, criminal behavior, certain kinds of depression or mental illness? Any of those things in the home can mean a gun can make you less safe. Remember the researcher who came up with the two million number, Gary Kleck? Even he says the safety of a gun is no slam dunk. I asked how he'd advise Rady and Mike on the safer or not question. I'd want to know if those two or anybody living in the household with them have a criminal record or a record of violent behavior in the past. Because if, if the answer is no, then I'd side with Mike. On the other hand, if the, the answer is yes, then I'd say, well, you'd really have to look into it a lot more detail because it's going to be a closer call then. Since she first asked the question, Rady's been reading a lot of gun studies and mulling over these various factors. One of the ways that I do look at this is as a woman. Guns definitely make women less safe in their own homes. Another way I look at it is as someone who has experienced depression, and I know that it would be dangerous for me to have a gun in my house, but maybe not for other people who don't have that same kind of background. So to recap, will that gun make Mike safer? That depends a lot on what's going on inside his home. How often do people defend themselves with guns? Could be 80,000 times a year or 2.5 million. The numbers vary according to which researcher you talk to and how they ask their questions. And as to why folks like Rady and Mike disagree, well, it's borne out in the surveys. Most gun owners just have different views on guns than non-gun owners. Same for most Democrats and Republicans. Yes, sometimes even among scholars. This squishiness, it's not what Rady wanted to hear. What she wanted was some super solid data to change Mike's thinking. But now that she knows how murky it is and how hardwired our views are, she doesn't have a lot of hope of changing her friend's mind anymore. 
it's true that either you believe guns are gonna protect you or you believe that they're not. And it doesn't seem like the evidence is gonna sway you too much either way. This week's story was reported by me, Monica Eng. Curious City is supported by the Conan Family Foundation. Next time on Curious City. When Joyce was a kid, she attended Ebinger School in Northwest Chicago, and she always found the school's neo-Gothic design impressive. To me, it always reminded me of a castle, you know? Its hexagonal towers do look like a medieval castle, but she's noticed several schools that look just like Ebinger throughout Chicago. Turns out CPS built 32 nearly identical elementary schools in just three years. We'll find out why. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown.